The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. From the Clark Ford Studio in Oxford, Mississippi, MBW Digital proudly presents the Oxford Exxon Podcast. I'd say thanks for tuning in. But why am I going to give you a round of applause for something you're supposed to do, to be frank? And now, here are your hosts, Chase Parham. And broadcast school has really paid off. And Neil McCready. I deserve to be on TV. Welcome into the Wednesday Oxford Exxon podcast. I'm Neil McCready, flying solo here today. Chase Parham on vacation this week. Was kind enough to do a show yesterday, so I'll handle uh, the rest of this week, whatever that entails. Sorry for the little bit of a late start today. I'll explain that in a moment if anybody's interested. First, I want to tell you that this is the Oxford Exxon podcast. Oxford Exxon Highway 6, uh, Highway 6 West in Oxford. Great place for you to stop in or out on your way in or out of Oxford. Great place to fill up. Uh, yourself, fill up your vehicle, always clean, uh, always nice service. Uh, also, don't forget the ribs, wet and dry this weekend if you're looking for um, a way to spend one of your last big summer weekends before school gets started, for us before preseason camp gets started, uh, stop at the Oxford Exxon, Highway 6 West in Oxford. I'm coming to you from the Clark Ford Studios, Clark Ford's in Amory, Mississippi, 662 662- 257-1900-662-257-1900 the number. Call it. Ask for my buddy Corey Clark. Tell Corey what Ford product you're looking for. He'll send you a quote within 15 minutes in business hours. It's right to the bottom line. There's no hassle. There's no haggle. You get your quote. The rest is completely up to you. You can shop that quote around or you can do what I've done, what I recommend that you do, and that is hop into a Clark Ford today. 662-257-1900. You get great service, great products. Corey and the people at Clark Ford, they want to be your car guy. They want to be your truck guy. People always ask me, what does that mean? Call the number. You'll find out. 662-257-1900. So off to a little bit of a late start this morning. I got up early and uh, went for a long run. It was weird. It was one of those runs where I felt great the whole time. Uh, All my splits were really good. My times were really good. I was, my neighborhood has tons of hills. I was actually hitting the hills hard. And uh, felt great, finished, walked like you're supposed to, stretched like you're supposed to, walked in, and uh, the air conditioning hit me, and nausea struck big time. So uh, it took me a little while to sort of uh, bounce back. So if you catch me drinking throughout the show, I've got a element here, a Gatorade Zero here. I must have gotten dehydrated and not realized it. So anyway, apologize for that. But if you see me stop to drink, 
I know that's not the best audio, but it's kind of a necessity this morning because I'm I'm not I'm not fully recovered yet. Um, I solicited um, questions from rebelgrove.com, and you guys delivered big time, as always. I really appreciate it. I haven't done a mailbag in uh, like a month, three weeks. Started the mailbag back first Wednesday in July, but decided this would be a uh, little bit of a warm-up for me and an easy way to do a, uh, a solo podcast without Chase here. So I'll try to get through these uh, and give them the detail that they deserve. There's like 40 questions, so... Apology in advance to our advertisers. I'm going to run through ads a little quicker during this so that I can get to as many of these questions as I can because people took the time to ask and I want to answer. So hope uh, you guys understand ahead of time. I'll read your ads. I'll just kind of condense them a little bit more than I normally do. We'll get back rolling uh, full time next week. Chase will be back from his vacation. It'll be uh, the week of camp. And uh, I guess camp starts end of next week, so we'll start really diving into um, into football as it gets here. Next end of next week or so, uh, Juice Fest, Ole Miss's big recruiting event is Friday. There's a list of expected visitors up at RebelGrove.com, and um, Michael Luker and I will do our best to cover what's available to cover. I'm not sure what will actually be available to cover, but we'll be out there, and if there's coverage to be had, we'll get it and get it to you on uh, Friday at rebelgrove.com. So Big Juice 10 ask, is it money or scheme related on why Kiffin hasn't been able to land any elite wide receiver prospects? It doesn't make a lot of sense after a 10-year run of pumping out elite wide receivers. Um, you know, I'm going to take his word for it that this is that that for most of these kids, that makes sense that most of these kids it's about um money. It's highest bidder. If um, you, like me, think that the NFL market in terms of analytics and what a player is worth at, in terms of position has bled down to the college level, I believe that. I can't prove it yet. It's what I believe. Uh, you know that wide receivers are expensive, and um, there aren't a lot of elite wide receivers. It's a difficult position to replace. It's a difficult position to uh, – to kind of handle. And, um, I think it's just money. I don't think it's, I don't think it's about scheme. Look, everybody's kind of running the same stuff schemes. There aren't, I mean, unless you're like running the wishbone or the triple option or something, everybody's kind of running RPOs. It's everybody's running pro style and RPO stuff. And, um, you know, if you're a wide receiver, there's, there's not a, not a lot of difference in schematics between playing at Ole Miss and Alabama or Alabama and Tennessee. It's all basically the same. Uh, North Tampa Rebel says, see if I can read without these ugly glasses. If Lane uses the lacking NIL excuse for any losses this year, do you expect pushback follow-up in the media room? Yes. Here's why. Lane Kiffin last year called out Ole Miss on NIL. He basically used the lack of NIL as a little bit of a of a leverage tool during the Auburn flirtation. I know some people push back on that, but he did. Ole Miss answered. They gave him the NIL that he asked for. And so if he comes back this year and goes, hey, you know, we lost this game basically if because you know they have more they have better players than us, they have more money than us. 
I mean, the response that someone has to ask is, it's not a personal thing, but it's, did you underestimate how much money you needed for NIL? You thought you needed six million, you got 10. Was 10 not enough? And if 10's not enough, how much do you have to have to compete at that level? That's the fair question. I don't even think he'd be bothered by that question. I think he would answer that question if if um, if it was presented to him. And it's one of the reasons why I'm back piggybacking on something we talked about yesterday. It's one of the reasons I think we as an entity, a media entity, rebelgrove.com, I think we have to have a presence at, at as many games as possible. Um, there's going to be a game somewhere that we can't staff because of scheduling and logistics, but we've got to be at 10 games minimum in person. Um, it's a good question. Uh, Levi 275 says, what is Shohei Otani worth? Do the angels trade him or try to sign him this off season to an extensive contract through 2036 and risk that he signs elsewhere? So I looked this up a little while ago when I was trying to, um, cool off a little bit. The angels won last night. They have a two game winning streak. The Angels in the American League and the wild card race are just three and a half games back. Now, today the the wild card leaders would be Tampa and Houston. They would they would get the two two of the wild card spots. Toronto would get a wild card spot. They would get the third one. So it's Boston at a game and a half back, the Yankees at two and a half back, and then the Angels at three and a half back. The other teams that are conceivably in it, Seattle, Cleveland, that's it. You can't trade Shohei Otani when you're three and a half games out of the playoffs. You just can't. The message that sends to your fans is that you don't care about them. Uh, Artie Moreno is not someone who's inclined to do that. So they're not. He's not going to trade Shohei. Um, I mean, the smart thing to do if if you didn't have to worry about people's feelings is probably to trade him and see if you could get a King's ransom right now. That doesn't mean you couldn't re-sign him if you're the Angels. Realistically, Shohei Otani is not returning to the Angels. He's not happy there. They haven't won. Um, He's going to get a ton of money. My guess is he's going to get at least $55 million a year, probably pushing $60 million a year. He's probably going to get a 10-year to 12-year deal. Um, Dodgers, Red Sox, Mets, there are rumblings about Philadelphia. There have been rumblings about Atlanta. There are rumblings about the Cubs. There's so many teams that are going to be in on Shohei Otani that the odds are he's gone. But if you're the Angels, you can't trade him right now if you're three and a half games back in the wild card race. Because next season, not only are you not going to have Shohei Otani, but you're, you're still going to be trying to sell tickets. And if you told your fan base that we quit at the end of July, it's going to be a hard sell. Uh, chat Reb, I am going to need the readers. I apologize. Chat Reb says, okay, I know this is ancient history and both Ole Miss and Hugh Freeze have recovered and are in good positions today, but this has to be asked. How do you account for the fact that both LSU and particularly Tennessee had worse infractions across the board than Ole Miss, but skated the wrath of the NCAA while Ole Miss had the book thrown at them? I know the easy answer is the NCAA is now toothless, but when you see how the NCAA gave Pruitt referring to Jeremy Pruitt, a six-year show cause while Hugh Freeze got none. You have to wonder why the NCAA took their wrath out on Ole Miss rather than their coach, unlike Tennessee. 
You're right. The easy answer is that the NCAA is now toothless, and that is absolutely a part of the answer. Um, it goes further than that, though. Tennessee quickly threw Jeremy Pruitt under the bus. They sacrificed him from the very get-go. They used this as an excuse to get rid of a coach that they viewed as a failure. Ole Miss doubled down on Hugh Freeze. When this first started coming to light in 2013, if I get my dates right, signing day-ish of 2013, and that time when a lot of other people around the league had their panties in a wad, not and it wasn't just about Ole Miss recruiting Laramie Tunsil. Everyone knows why Ole Miss got Robert Kimdichie. Not many people are all that upset about it. Robert Kimdichie was going to go wherever Denzel was. Um, not many people were upset about Laquan Treadwell. Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Michigan, those schools kind of butchered the recruiting, and Hugh Freeze did a really good job. Um, Wesley McGriff at the time did a really good job on Laquan Treadwell. Tunsil had people worked up. Ole Miss's problem was that Hugh Freeze, when the NCAA came to town, he challenged them. I mean, literally challenged them. It was stupid. It was a dumb thing to do. And then when the SEC said, hey, look, you guys have this deal with, I can almost feel you guys pushing back. Um, the NCAA had this deal with Barney Farrar, and at the time, I guess it was Dan Werner. Dan had just lost his wife, had a child at home, didn't go out recruiting, and Ole Miss was able to work out a deal where Barney Farrar, who wasn't an on-the-field coach, recruited in Werner's spot. And a lot of programs around the league, multiple, viewed that as a competitive disadvantage for them. And it's my understanding that when the SEC said, hey, either put him on the field or get him off the road, Hugh Freeze doubled down, which is what Hugh does. And it got personal, and it got ugly, and you know the rest. At Tennessee, they didn't get personal. It didn't get ugly. They turned him in. They self-imposed, all that stuff. They handled it differently. I don't know why LSU got off the way it did. I, 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 don't, I just don't know enough details on that. The one thing I can tell you about the LSU case, as crazy as it sounds, is that if you talk to people that are fairly close to it, they'll tell you that the NCAA never really found the money on some of the stuff, especially as it pertains to basketball. The the football thing with the money laundering through the, the hospital, to me it's egregious. I I I don't know how they escaped it with show with basically vacating wins and such, but they did. I don't know whether it's because it was viewed that they cooperated. I, I don't the NCAA's weird. Um but that was a different time then and now. And now the NCAA is toothless and that is absolutely a part of the answer. Uh, Dub Jr. says, prediction time. Let's say Texas A&M bombs to start the season. For the sake of this argument, let's say the Aggies lose to Miami and go 1-3 over the next month when they play Arkansas, Auburn, Alabama, and Tennessee, which is possible, he says. That would put them at 3-4 and four entering their bye week. At the same time, Ole Miss wakes up on the morning of September the 24th undefeated at 4-0 after winning a close game versus Alabama the night before. 
Ole Miss goes into its bye at 5-1 and one after going 1-1 one and one versus LSU and Arkansas over the next two weeks. The Aggies move on from Jimbo Fisher. As an Ole Miss fan, I assume I don't have to play this game with Lane Kiffin leaving anymore, correct? If I don't have to worry about Lane, what are your way too early predictions for who takes that job? All right, well, in that scenario, at 3-4, and four, I do think A&M would move on from Jimbo Fisher. I don't know if they'd move on right then, but they would absolutely be moving on. And at 5-1, and one, after beating either Alabama or LSU, because I would presume in that scenario that if they're 4-0 and then they're 5-1 and one after the Arkansas game, my assumption would be that they lost to LSU and beat Arkansas. So if that's the case, Ole Miss would be ranked 8th-ish, 9th-ish, 10th, top, top 10 for sure. Would uh, would Lane Kiffin be – look, I, I, I think that's too big of an assumption to assume that you wouldn't have to sweat the Lane Kiffin leaving any more game because the media, in a scenario where Jimbo was out and the storyline was who's next, in that scenario with Ole Miss at 5-1, and one, Lane Kiffin would be at the top of the list because the media – Lane Kiffin gets clicks. So you would have to worry about that. Lane would get asked about it, and I don't know how his response would be this time. Would he keep doing the same thing that he's always done and said, hey, look, I can't control that. I don't talk about that stuff during the season. Um, that's my guess. My guess is he wouldn't just shoot it down. Who else would be on that list? Listen, because of the money that's there, even though that place is weird as hell, because of the money that's there, the list would be a prestigious list. Um, I mean, I, I don't think there's any name that would be completely off the table. Um, Mike Norvell, perhaps, if he's winning it at Florida State, um, there would be there would just be a lot of names. That that would be. I'm sure there's some people I'm not thinking of. You would have. Uh, a trailer at, at UTSA perhaps would, would get some attention because of all of his Texas ties, but th- they would be able to go national. I mean, Jim Harbaugh's name would, would come up for that job. Um, Ryan Day's name would come up for that job if, if he feels any heat whatsoever at Ohio State. There, there would be a long list of coaches who would be interested in the Texas A&M job because when you look at the resources and the money in this market, there's no reason that you're not a top 10 gig. Uh, Johnny Darnell, three says intermittent fasting question. I really love the idea and I've had success at moments in the past with it. I struggle to control my appetite. Once I can eat, I eat too much. Did you have that struggle and how have you worked through that over time? Um, so I had two basic rules when I was really intermittent fasting. I haven't been doing as much fasting lately because with, with more running, uh, fasting's kind of difficult. Um, I think walking is a much better exercise when you're truly intermittent fasting. Looking at myself in this camera right now, I need to get back to fasting. Um, But I had two rules when I was fasting. One was when I got really hungry, I would drink water first. And then I would get out and go for just a walk, just a stroll, a walk, get out. And if 20 minutes later... I was still really hungry. Odds are I was probably really hungry and I probably needed to eat something. Um, 
But often I would find that after I drank some water and went out and just went for a short walk that the hunger went away. And I realized that I wasn't hungry. I was just kind of bored. And the boredom made me uh, want to eat. So that's how I did it. Um, I had a pretty disciplined, probably for eight, nine months, a pretty disciplined fasting routine where I did not eat anything before 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Usually could push it till 3, sometimes 4. And then um, I would eat something fairly light first, like a, a one bar, a protein bar. And then I would get away from food for a couple hours so that I didn't eat a huge, basically a huge meal at four o'clock and then turn around and eat another huge meal at eight o'clock. Cause that sort of defeats the purpose. It's, it, it's all about calories. Um, so I would eat something light at four o'clock to break the fast and then get away from food. And then I would eat dinner seven ish and then do it again. But water is, water's your friend when you're, um, when you're fasting, water and walking are your friends. The intense exercise is going to make you super hungry. It's going to make it really hard to keep the fast until middle of the afternoon to the point where you're going to be miserable. That sort of defeats the purpose too. Uh, with the Rebel Yell, ask any updates on Zakari Franklin. Uh, I've got nothing new other than what we reported on Monday, which is he's not on the roster. He still needs surgery that, to my knowledge, he hasn't had yet. Uh, there is optimism that the class situation will work out. He's eligible, but look, the clock's ticking. I mean, it's July the 26th. The surgery would require four weeks of recovery. Um, you know, do the math. That gets you into basically game week for Mercer. Um, that feels like an unknown, and I think there's a, I think there's another conflict that has to be resolved. So I'd put the odds at 50-50. And then at some point, how ready can he be? Uh, Salad Thunder. Says, you seem like you've had a breakthrough recently. It's refreshing to see. I kind of have too. Would have been the catalyst. I followed up and asked him breakthrough in what regard because I wasn't sure what he was referring to. And he says that I seem happy and uh, and, and motivated. Thank you for the nice words, Salad. Um, I don't know. I really had a breakthrough per se. Um, I uh, I am happy. Uh, my life is good. Um, my family is is good. All of my kids are doing great. I'm one of these people that I, I think you you can only be. I think there's a cliche that that's out there that sticks around for a reason, and that's um, you, you can only be as happy as your most miserable child. I think that's true. Um, so the kids are good, and um, you know, I mean, I don't know. I I, I I've had some. I've had some revelations over the last few months as it pertains to, uh, to work and, uh, things of that nature. But, um, I don't know. I appreciate that. I'm, I've always been pretty motivated, motivated. Motivation has never really been a struggle for me. Um, I've always been kind of able to do that. Had a guy using a hoverboard while he was weed eating. That's crazy. That's nuts. Um, I will say this. Um, yeah, C.C. Simon says in summertime, football season gets dark for people in my position. So one thing I have learned over the last few years that I wish I had learned a lot earlier is when you feel like you need a break, you probably need a break. Um, I, I, took a, I took a staycation earlier this summer. I, I just needed a break. 
we're not, we didn't take a vacation this summer. We didn't go anywhere. Um, we have, uh, our oldest daughter's moving to, a to, uh, Nashville to start a new job. And our middle daughter's got to move from one apartment to another. And she had an internship at, at, uh, up in Northwest Arkansas this summer. So she really wasn't here. And, uh, Carson had lots of, uh, soccer summer, summer soccer, I should say. So we really didn't take a break. And so there was a temptation just to grind through the summer, but I didn't, I took a break and had a few days where if I'm honest, I kind of laid around by the pool and I read a book and, um, I didn't podcast and I think it made Chase nervous, but I, I needed to get away from it. And, um, I needed just to let my head rest a little, if that makes sense. I'm and, and understand that I'm not 35 anymore. So I've had people tell me you never take a break. You don't ever give up an opportunity for your competition to take your viewers, your listeners. And I used to probably live that way, but I, I, I can say that I don't think I really do anymore. Uh, real quick, let me tell you that uh, we're brought to you by Comer Heating and Air, Southern Air Conditioning and Heating, different names, same great products and services. Uh, the people at Comer have been awesome to us this summer because we've had some AC issues uh, upstairs, and they've been here whenever we've needed them. They'll do that for you, too. Oxford, Batesville, Tupelo. Call Comer, 662-801-1777. If you live in Hernando, Memphis, or that area, call Southern, 662-429-4429. Speaking of Nashville, A-Stock is a Nashville-based online retail company with the mission to provide customers the power to name their price. Every item starts at just $1, no matter what the retail value may be. So shop now at astock.bid. That's A-S-T-O-C-K dot B-I-D. Uh, they have great uh, offers on local pickups in Nashville and Memphis and some other areas, so don't miss out. The College Corner is coming to Oxford this fall. Their newest location will be in the Oxford Commons right off of Sisk Avenue. More than 4,000 square feet of the best Rebel gear. Plenty of parking available, and their staff will have you in and out and ready for the Grove in no time, opening in mid-August. So you can check out their website, collegecornerstore.com. Game Changer Patches are the only two-patch system available in the market. Stop hangovers before they start. They've got the warm-up patch, the overtime patch. They'll have you uh, ready to go if you're headed to the beach. One last time this summer before uh, school and football and everything cranks up, make sure you load up on Game Changer Patch. It's GameChangerPatch.com. Promo code REBELGROVE20 at checkout for 20% off of your purchase. And we're brought to you by Dead Soxy. the best socks you'll ever put on your feet. The no-shows are amazing. We've got all sorts of... Uh, uh, cool socks from um, Ole Miss theme stuff to the stuff that the kids that did that their charitable thing, which I think are super cool. I wear those all the time. Uh, you can get them at deadsoxy.com. Once you start wearing Dead Soxy, I promise you'll never want another sock, uh, another dress sock on your foot. It's deadsoxy.com, promo code REBELGROVE at uh, checkout. Uh, let's see. Um Oh, okay. CC Simon is a good question. I, I, this isn't in the thing. What prevents us from bringing on more staff in a full-time capacity? Um, growing a website like Rebel Grove is just super hard. Um, we just, it's something I, we've talked to other people about. I'll be honest here. I mean, this is, this, this pisses off people at Rivals when I say it. Um, Rivals has not done a very good job of, theft prevention stopping people from passing out um, passwords and such and so it's very difficult to grow and that's 
one of our ways of making money. We have grown the podcast and turned it into a revenue maker, but not enough to to bring in a bunch of full time people. Uh, that that just we haven't hit that point. Um, you know, I've had people ask, "Why don't you hire a recruiting guy full time?" And the answer is, I would. I would hire a, a recruiting guy full-time, but two there would be two conditions on that. One is that the recruiting guy has to live here, period. And number two, the recruiting guy has to do such a good job that I don't have to keep up with it at all, and we haven't ever achieved that. In the past, we've had people that helped with recruiting, and they did a good job, but I still had to help, and they didn't live in Oxford, and so when there were events like Friday, I had to go. That sort of defeated the purpose of having a recruiting guy. If I've got to handle the recruiting for events and such, that made no sense. So, um, and then frankly, the change in recruiting has um, made made you a little nervous about hiring somebody to exclusively cover recruiting. So uh, that's that answers that. Um, believe me, we'd love to grow to a point where we could hire full time staff. We just we haven't gotten there. Um, <clears throat> Judkins for Heisman says, you've stated that Kane Womack and John Summerall will be Power 5 coaches, and you think soon. I do. Play Neil Stradamus, which I love that name. What jobs could open this year that would be good fits for either of them? Um, I, 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 think, I think John and Kane, full disclosure, um, John's a really good acquaintance. I like John a lot. I think John likes me. Kane is a friend. We are legitimately friends. Um when we talk, we talk about things other than football. We talk about our families and life and things like that. So uh, I like Kane's dad a ton. Dave Womack is one of the nicest, uh, most professional people I've ever covered. I mean, super guy. He's not perfect. He's a Cardinals fan. But other than that, Dave Womack is as good of a human being as you'll ever meet in any walk of life. And his son is a chip off the block. In terms of jobs that could open up, I mean, if you look around the SEC, there aren't many. Um, in the West, for example, I mean, I don't think Ole Miss is opening up. Mississippi State's got a new coach. LSU's not opening up, barring some sort of tragedy. Um, we talked about Texas A&M. I think you have to keep an eye on Alabama with with Nick Saban because just because of his age, but there's no sign that he's walking away anytime soon. Hugh Freeze is in his first year at Auburn, so that job's not opening up. Um, keep an eye on Arkansas. If things went badly at Arkansas this year, I could see, I could see Arkansas making a change. Um, and I would think in that scenario, both of those guys would be on the short list. Both of those guys would make a lot of sense at a program like that. So that's one in the West if things went went south in Fayetteville. Uh, in the East, uh, obviously Georgia's not, not going anywhere with Kirby. That's the, the preeminent program in the country. Um, south Carolina's perfectly safe. Tennessee, perfectly safe. I think Billy Napier's safe at Florida. There are people who think if it went really bad that they might make a change. I, I don't buy it. Uh, Vanderbilt's safe. They're, they love Clark Lee. Um, if it went really south at Missouri, maybe. But, you know, they just gave Drinkwitz a new deal. So uh, I think that the answer is th there's probably not many jobs that are potentially coming open. Texas is 
probably not coming open, and if they did, they would go more national than, than at this point than Kane. Uh, the, the, the job that people talk about for Summerall is the Kentucky job. He played there. He was an assistant there before he left to be the head coach at Troy. He's got SEC experience at both Kentucky and Ole Miss as an assistant. Um, I think if, if Stoops retired or walked away or went to Iowa or took another job, I think uh, I think Summerall's the leader in the clubhouse at Kentucky for that gig, and he might be willing to wait a, a year or two to get that that gig. So it's uh, it's going to be a minute, but those guys those guys are patient. Look, uh, Kane's got a great job, South Alabama. It's, they're they're going to win this year. They love him there. He's making good money. His family loves it there. Uh, Summerall's got a, a good job at Troy. It's a great program. At that level, uh, they give him tons of support. It means something to the community. So both of those guys have the uh, have the ability to be patient. They're both young, healthy guys. They're, they're going to be fine. They have to make sure they don't panic and jump into a job that that's impossible. Uh, let's see. Back to the uh, to the questions. Uh, sometime JCH MCL09 or MC109 says sometimes in mid-August the MLB totals of stolen bases will match all of 2022 with a month and a half to go in the 2023 season. Stolen base success rates are up to 79% for second base and almost 90% for third base. Pitchers can only step off the rubber or throw to first two times. Uh, add the pitch clock and the larger bases and the base runner has a big advantage. Is it? It is also said that the sacrifice bunt is becoming even more of a dinosaur. Should these some of these rule changes be tweaked? No. There's my answer. No. I was watching Cubs-White Sox last night for a while. The game moved at a quick pace. They played in two hours and 43 minutes. Baseball's supposed to be quick. I like that the pitchers don't have two two minutes between pitches to reset for you to fall asleep. The game's moving. There's more offense. There's more running. Um, I like it. I like it. Uh, Robert Niney says, LSU is managing and utilizing the NIL era very well thus far. Using the transfer portal slash NIL, they've bought a national championship in women's basketball and baseball. My question is, do you feel they are in the top two or three in the country in NIL transfer portal effectiveness? Um, I can't speak to the whole country because I just don't know. But yeah, I mean, they've been really, really good at what they've done and now, look, Kim Mulkey's going to win anywhere she ever goes. I've known about Kim Mulkey since she was playing at Louisiana Tech when I was a boy growing up in Ruston. That's just, Kim Mulkey just wins. That's just kind of who she is. She just wins. Um, LSU's baseball program is arguably the top baseball program in the country. You, you can't have the conversation about, hey, rank college baseball programs and not put LSU in the conversation for number one, unless you just are biased. So how much of that is NIL? How much of that is they've just done a really good job? Um, they targeted Paul Skeens and um, went out and got him, and he made a huge difference for them. Um, but, yeah, NIL's helped them tremendously. I was. It's interesting, and you, I know people are going to push back and go, Moscona's an idiot or whatever. Say what you want. Moscona says that, I talked to him in, in Nashville, um, they don't have as much NIL money as people think they have. 
they're, now they're able to recruit at a higher level because they can recruit the state of Louisiana and, and Texas with high school kids. LSU is, um, is a sexy brand to high school kids. Kids, kids like the idea of playing there. I'm a Louisiana kid. I can tell you that in Louisiana, LSU's, it, it has like a draw to it. Even though I grew up an Alabama fan because my parents went to Alabama and I cheered against LSU as a kid, but I always knew who they were playing. They were always very present. It's a huge brand in that state. And sometimes they get kids uh, from Louisiana who just go there because that's what they wanted to do. Um. 501 Reb says, what moves could the Cubs outside of the Otani pipe dream make to rekindle my fandom? Um, pretty simple. Number one, I don't think the Cubs have any choice but to be a heavy bidder on Shohei Otani, period. They're a major market. Chicago's a major market. They have huge fan support. They finally put out the uh, marquee app in market app yesterday, 1999 a month for people who want to watch the Cubs on the app in it's Illinois, Iowa, Indiana, I think is their, their footprint. Um, they've got to start spending like a big market team. I think, I think they've got to act like the Dodgers, the Mets, the Yankees. If it's going to, as you say, rekindle my fandom back to where it once was, that's how they do it. Um, there's a follow-up question from Cubby Oz, which he says, in a scenario where the Cubs decide to build around Cody Bellinger, what would that look like in your mind? Um, there, there's, there's the answer to your question, 501 Reb, is if they're not going to get Shohei Otani, they cannot let Cody Bellinger walk away. He's 28 years old. He's playing like a borderline MVP. Um, he looks the part. He acts the part. He... Signed a one-year deal. The Cubs have lived up to their end of the deal. He's lived up to his end of the deal. You have to sign him to a, a long-term extension and make him a cornerstone of, of your rebuild. And then you've got to take the money that you were going to use for an Otani with Hayward's contract coming off the books, uh, presumably with Hendricks's contract coming off the books. Uh, you've got to go into the free agent market on pitching, and whether it's an Aaron Nola or, or whoever the case, whoever it might be, you, you've got to go spend some money on some front-line pitching and, You've got a division where St. Louis looks to be taking a major step back. Pittsburgh's not there. Cincinnati's a young, exciting team, but you know, in the past they've had a hard time keeping up with the market, and Milwaukee's going to lose Corbin Burns. It's a division where you should go in the next season as the favorite because of what you did in the offseason. That's, that's how they would rekindle it. Uh, Austin Epting says, Is it more intentional for Lane Kiffin to speak more and take questions regarding NIL and transfer portal conflicts? and not bring up his football team's offense or defense play like the other head coaches did. I talked about this a little bit yesterday. I'm going to repeat it in case you missed it. When Lane Kiffin went to the main stage in Nashville at about 9.05 in the morning on Thursday, he had just finished a 14, 15-minute session with local media where he got a lot of questions about Spencer Sanders and about offense and defense and health and some of that stuff. So he had just talked about that. So the guys that would ask those questions, local beat writers, we had already asked those questions of him. So that room was more big picture oriented in large part because of that. Now, that being said, I don't think Lane Kiffin really likes local media. 
I don't think it's personal. I just think he thinks that we're, how do I put this? I think he kind of thinks we're sort of losers. And listen, I get it. I understand that. Um, he, he, he likes talking to national guys, and the national guys aren't going to ask him about minutia on his roster in July. They're going to ask him big picture stuff because they get to write national stories. They're, they can't write a national story about Ole Miss's passing game. They, they can write a national story about Lane Kiffin talking about NIL, especially when he uses the word disaster. Once Lane used that word, that was going to be the topic of that media session because national media jumped on it as they should have. Um, but he's proven that he's far more comfortable in media settings where he's talking about big picture stuff than he is local stuff. And um, I just don't think he likes doing media sessions with us. I think there's a reason that you've never really seen him do a one-on-one with anybody in the local media. I just think he, and I don't mean this as a knock on lane. I 100% get this perspective. I just kind of think he thinks he's better than us. And in many ways he is. I get it. 100%. But that's the deal. Now the flip side of that, I'll be totally transparent. And the advice that I think someone would normally give a coach in this scenario is, look, as long as you win, you can do that. You can you can, kind of tell the local media to piss off. When you don't win and the national media disappears and you don't have any advocacy in the local media, it can get pretty dark and lonely for you. I don't really think Ole Miss has to worry about that. I think the odds of a of a nine and three season far outweigh the odds of a five and seven season. But in a scenario where Ole Miss were to go five and seven, the national media is not covering him. And I don't know that the local media is going to spend a whole lot of time trying to make excuses for him. Not that it would matter, but you get the point. Um, in the end, it's, it's better to catch bees with honey, I think, but I just think he gets bored with us. Um, all right, next. Uh, Salmonish says, The football gods come down to finally commend you on your sprawling media network after all the sugary salutations they tell you. Uh, Mr. Prisonhard, we will answer one of these two questions, and you are completely free to do whatever you like with the information. A, we tell you who killed JFK, everyone who was involved, and the degree of their involvement. Okay, that's pretty interesting. I'd be locked in. B, we tell you the final result of any one single competition slash election within the next 50 years. Okay. For podcast reasons and personal curiosity, I'd want to know all about JFK. I'm fascinated by it. Who did it? Who was the trigger people? Who were the trigger people? Who was the trigger person? What was their involvement? Now, I would be stunningly disappointed if the gods said, hey, it was Oswald and he acted alone, and I wasted my chance here. From a financial slash commercial reason, I might ask who wins the 2028 presidential election. That would tell me a lot about where we were as a country, where we were with um, 
a lot of legislation, a lot of policy, and I might be able to turn that into some serious money by playing the markets, knowing that information ahead of time. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Be curious to see what other people say about that. That's that's what I'd that's my answer though. Six one five Reb says, What is the best potato chip? I discovered Lay's stacks over the weekend. I'll now never eat a Pringle again. Side note, if you haven't had them, start with the barbecue. There are multiple flavors like Pringles. I've never had a Lay's stacks. I haven't had a Pringle in a long time. Uh, my son Carson likes Pringles, and so uh, Laura buys Pringles all the time. And they're in the bottom of the kitchen. I know exactly where they are, and I have been able to resist them for multiple years now it's it's always kind of an accomplishment for me uh, i do i do like uh barbecue chips a lot most any barbecue chip that's usually my favorite flavor uh, i try to uh i try to avoid chips pretty religiously because i realize that if i eat one chip you sort of know where the rest of that goes we are brought to you by pinnacle pinnacle based in jackson mississippi clients in multiple states uh advisors in multiple states they provide detailed, specialized investment management, financial planning, retirement planning for individuals and businesses, and much, much more. It's mypinwealth.com, M-Y-P-I-N-N wealth.com. John Edwards of Regency Travel Incorporated in Memphis is the guy to go to if you are uh, planning a last-minute summer trip. Maybe you're already thinking about a holiday trip. Maybe you're uh, already thinking about spring break. All of that would be smart. Get in touch with John. Give him some parameters. Give him a budget. He's going to give you options you can't find on your own. 901-494-3387 or Edwards at regencytravel.net. Uh, Oxford's newest Greek restaurant on the square. OPA is the perfect place to uh, plan your company dinner or a festive party event that can accommodate up to 200 guests. Fabulous food. Great craft libations as well. They can, uh, like I said, accommodate 200 guests or so. So for catering or booking information, Contact Jeannie at 601-421-7147. We're brought to you by Service Specialist Staffing and Recruiting Agency, connecting great job opportunities to candidates since 1967. If you are seeking a job, they can help you pretty much across the board. It's always free for the candidate. If your company is looking to hire quality, hard-to-find talent, Service Specialist can help you as well. Payment of service solely contingent on if you decide to hire a candidate that they send. You've got nothing to lose, so give Will, Sydney, or Kelsey a call at 662-832-5138 or check out their new and improved website, servicespecialistltd.com. Um, 
The punter says, does Jim Phillips, Northwestern's former AD and defendant in multiple lawsuits, make it through the football season as ACC commissioner? If he is let go, does it speed along conference realignment? I think he's going to have a hard time getting through this if this Northwestern uh, case continues to sort of build where it looks like it was multiple sports and it looks like coaches knew about it, which begs the question, what did he know about it? What should he have known about it? And in this political climate, can he sort of survive that looking calloused, looking incompetent? And as it impacts realignment, it would depend on who got that gig and how aggressive that person wanted to be. I think his predecessor was 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 going to be more aggressive than than he is. Um, his successor might go back to that model and be really aggressive. I know everyone in, in these conferences are just sort of watching each other. I know everyone would like to get the data on the 2024 season before they make decisions. But um, they might not be able to. People might decide not to do that. They might decide to, to make a bold play for uh, a couple schools in the Pac-10, Pac-12, whatever it is. Uh, I, I'm I'm in the minority. I, I I think it's possible the ACC blows up between now and 2028, and all eyes are on Notre Dame. Maybe Notre Dame makes a decision that, that would surprise people. I don't know. Kyle DeHoss. If Saban wins another championship in the next three years, does he retire and go out on top? Um, Kyle, I can tell you that in Nashville, there were a lot of people that were talking about three years. Almost like they knew something. Um, if he won a title, does he retire and go out on top? I mean, I'm sure that would be something he would think about doesn't strike me as that guy at this point. I mean, look, his legacy is completely safe. He doesn't have to win another title. Um, when he walks away, whether it's after a title or after a 7-5 and five disappointing season, he walks away as the, the GOAT, the best coach in the history of the game, certainly at the college level. And um, I don't know, he... He did not act like an old man getting ready to walk away in Nashville. He he seemed energized. He looks the same. I I, I think people are, are making assumptions based on his age that and I do it too, but I think they're making assumptions based on his age that just likely aren't true. Uh Bauer one says, Why hasn't the Grove Collective made more of a difference in high school recruiting? Did it just keep Ole Miss from being further behind? Um, it's a cop-out answer, but it's the truth. I'm not sure that I know enough to completely answer that. Um, my, my guess is that Lane Kiffin has decided that the portal is the best path for them for building a roster each year and to compete at the top of the portal is expensive and it doesn't leave a lot of money left over for high school recruiting. And some of the high school numbers at the top of the high school market are just exorbitant right now very very difficult and if you bring those kids in on those at that money and they don't pan out or it takes a while then you don't have money left over to compete at the top of the portal and if you're building your roster around the portal and you can't compete at the top of it that becomes problematic 
I will say that it seems that they have committed more high school guys so far this year and that maybe there's an adjustment being made in terms of strategy, but I don't know that he's going to say that publicly. It would be sort of foolish on his part. Rebnut says, can we, I assume referring to Ole Miss, win seven or eight games next year? That would be okay with me. I think we can beat Texas A&M and Arkansas. Yeah, Ole Miss can get to seven wins. Easy. Ole Miss can get to eight wins. I'm in the group that thinks once you get to eight, it's kind of hard to get to nine. Uh, I think 10's the ceiling. I've seen people say 11's the ceiling. I just think that's pretty pie in the sky. Um, I think 10's the absolute ceiling. You got to play at Alabama. You got to play at Georgia. You play LSU. You play Texas A&M. It's a hard schedule. 10 wins means that you split those four games. Um, But yeah, can you, I mean, here's a scenario for eight easy. Um, You you win all four non-league games. You beat Vanderbilt at home. You beat Arkansas at home. You, um, you win at Auburn. And then you either beat Texas A&M or, uh, or Mississippi state. That's eight. You win both of those. That's nine. Um, Seven's easy to get to, sure. I mean, I, I think if, if I were an odds maker on Ole Miss and I was wanting to get equal amounts of money on both sides, I'd put the, the over-under at seven and a half and, and probably feel pretty good about it. Um, there was a question that I was listening to on the Thunder podcast. It was interesting. It was, it was they were asking, what number of wins would get you excited in the coming season, talking about the Thunder, what number of wins? I'm probably going to steal this for ten thoughts. What number of wins would uh, make you say okay? And then what number of wins would disappoint you? And I think if I'm an Ole Miss fan, I think the number of wins that would make me excited is ten, maybe nine. Uh, the number of wins that would make me go okay would be seven. And the number of wins that would make me disappointed would be six. If I'm an Ole Miss fan and they go six and six, I'm disappointed. Big time. Maybe seven and five. I think at eight and four, you'd have to be like, okay, it's cool. And then anything over that, I think you'd have to probably start thinking about being excited. I haven't decided what my answer for the Thunder was, by the way. Um, I think my answer for the Thunder to get excited would be 50 wins. To say, okay, would be 45 wins. And disappointment would be anything under 40 wins in an 82-game season. Uh, H-Man 478 says, if NIL and instant transfer rules do not change, how much longer will college football last? NIL doesn't bother me as much as instant transfers. I've stopped following recruiting because, honestly, it doesn't matter anymore so long as the player can transfer before the season even starts. I know the normal argument, the main argument, is that normal students can transfer whenever they want, but athletes aren't normal students. Um, you know, I'm, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure I'm the person to ask this, but, and here's why. Um, I don't have the emotional attachment to it, which I think is a good thing. I think it helps with my job, but, um, I look at it and I think if I were a fan, this, this, um, current model would really bother me. I think I'd be turned off by it. Then I look around at uh, season ticket sales all over the place. They're up. The money that's being thrown around on TV deals, it's exorbitant. The money that coaches are making um, all over the place, um, incredible. 
the money that's in the portal for guys. Uh, some of the numbers that I hear for high school players, just eye-popping. And it tells me that this model probably works. It doesn't make a lot of logical sense for me, and sometimes I, I kind of get – so I'm asking myself, am I, am I being kind of old man yelling at the clouds here? Um, I do think NIL and instant transfers have taken some of the drama out of recruiting, which I think bothers some kind of hardcore fans that loved that, that part of the season because now recruiting is sort of constant. And if you don't get on a high school, if you don't win a high school player, you just go get the portal guy. And if you don't win a portal guy, you just go get another portal guy. And there's always people jumping in the portal and people leave and you can get excited about a kid that your school signs and a year later he's gone because it didn't work out immediately and he jumps in the portal or he didn't pan out right away. And so he jumps in the portal. Um, I just think it's changed the model a lot. Um, I've, I've been on record with one of the things that I think works about pro sports. I'll refer to the thunder again for a minute, if you don't mind, um, it's easy to be excited about the Thunder, to cover the Thunder, to, to watch the Thunder because they're building this team year over year. Um, they made the big trade for Shea Gildas Alexander and they tanked for a couple of years and they drafted Josh Giddy out of uh, New Zealand, Australia, and, and he comes in and he looks like he's going to be better than where he was selected in the draft. And so you get excited about him and then they – had the the draft where they drafted Chet Holmgren and they drafted uh, two Jalen Williams, the one from uh, Santa Clara in the first round and the one from Arkansas in the second round. And it looks like both of those guys are going to pan out. The one from Arkansas looks like he's going to be a, a really good rotational piece. The one from Santa Clara looks like he might be a star. Uh, and now Holmgren, after missing a year, he's back and they just drafted Case and Wallace and so you're watching the same guys over and over and over. If at the end of each year, those guys could just get up and bolt, it wouldn't be anywhere near as entertaining, which is one of the problems that I think college athletics has. And then I look at the crowds and the season tickets, and I think maybe I'm just out of touch with the emotional attachment that people have to the college game. I don't mean that in a bad way about college people or, or me. Just I think I'm wrong. I think you're going to see massive crowds again this year. And the next season, there's going to be tons and tons of excitement about it. And so I think I'm, I think I'm probably off. Um, yeah, I'm definitely going to do that question for 10 thoughts. Cause I'm seeing some of the feedback in the, in the stream. And thanks again to everybody for being in the stream. Um, with the rebel yell, second question, heard any updates on Hudson Wolf? I've not, um, we'll see what that looks like in, in, uh, in August. I assume based on the past years that we'll get some practice access. We'll get an opportunity to see who's out there and who isn't and be able to kind of go from there. Um, Arsqua, I can't even pronounce his name. It's A-R-S-Q-L-D-B-A. -A, says, what's the over-under on how many games in when Lane mentions the crowds at the games? So Ole Miss opens with Mercer at 1 o'clock on September the 2nd. <laughs> I anticipate some sort of a smart-ass crack, crack from him on that. Um, look, if you expect fans 
I, let's say this final score of that game is 52 to 10. Making a number up. I don't know. 50, 50 something to 10. Mercer gets a field goal and a late touchdown or whatever. You make it whatever you want to do. If, you, if that sounds too close to you, make it 56 to 3. I don't care. And it's 90 some odd degrees that afternoon. Probably muggy as hell on September the 2nd. That would be my educated guess having grown up in the South and now being at my age. People are bolting at halftime. They're gone. They're heading back to the Grove, to a bar with air conditioning. There's going to be other games on. They're out of there. And the second half of that game is going to be played in a fairly empty, super hot, kind of boring stadium, if if I have any, if, if you make me guess. So he'll say something. He'll be dumb. He shouldn't, but he probably will. Um and then, look, I think there will be a big crowd for the Georgia Tech game. I think that's the third weekend of the season. It's at 6.30 at night. There will be a big crowd. I don't think he'll have anything to say. And maybe he won't. Maybe someone will say, hey, just don't say anything. Let it be. Um, GJG23 says, what was my favorite 90s extended family uh, sitcom? Full House or Family Matters? Uh, you know, at the time, neither – and uh, but since the girls, when they were growing up, they loved uh, Full House so much that when we went to San Francisco, one of the big highlights was to see the Full House house. So it, my answer would be uh, Full House. Uh, Al Reb says, "Have you watched Welcome to Wrexham yet? Season two is set for September twelfth. It's a really good watch. I've heard it's great. I have not watched it yet. Uh, I watched uh, Wrexham and uh, Chelsea play the other night in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. It looked like it was packed. It was really." It was kind of cool to watch them play in a, in a college stadium like that. Um, no, I have not watched it yet. It's on my on my list of things to watch. Uh, get the beautiful, healthy smile you deserve at Corinth Dental. Dr. Bubba McQueen, Dr. Jenny Beth Hendrick are devoted to restoring and enhancing the natural beauty of your smile using conservative, state-of-the-art procedures that will result in a beautiful, long-lasting smile from routine checkups to advanced treatment, including implants and Invisalign, Corinth Dental is here to help you achieve your smile goals. So schedule your appointment today. Take your first step toward a better version of yourself at CorinthDental.com. Are you a displaced corporate executive wanting to put your career in your own hands? Are you an experienced entrepreneur looking to diversify? Either way, Andy Ludicky can help. He is a guy who owns multiple franchises and businesses. He uses his expertise to help others find their American dream through a very thorough and free consultation process. So call Andy. And put your life and your career in your own hands. It's 100% free. you got nothing to lose. Find your perfect franchise at myperfectfranchise.net or contact Andy anytime at andy at myperfectfranchise.net or 404-973-9901. Southern Traditions Farm is a 68-acre, 32-stall, upscale equestrian training and boarding facility in Canton, Mississippi. Sand rings, grass rings, miles of wooded trails, so much offered there. Horseback riding offerings. You can compete in nationally recognized competitions. It's also a great venue for uh, events and uh, parties and such. So get in touch with them on Instagram or uh, Facebook at Southern Traditions Farm. Uh, Jack's Rebel Steve says, have you heard officially or not what football and basketball season ticket sales look like so far? Uh, I'm curious how enthusiastic people are for both of them coming into the season. I haven't. I will tell you I've heard pretty big numbers in uh, basketball season ticket sales. 
Looks like those are maybe going to set some records. Uh, I will reach out to some people here soon, though, and ask questions about season tickets and such. I've, I've heard the football season tickets are going strong, that basketball is really strong. Speaking of basketball, Powder Blues says, are you surprised that Terrence Davis hasn't found a team yet? He's shown that uh, he can be a rotation piece on playoff teams. Did he have a reputation as being difficult while at Ole Miss? Uh, no, TD had a great reputation at Ole Miss. Uh, AK loved him. Uh, Kermit loved him. I mean, I'm sure there were moments, but no. In general, he had a great reputation. Um, he hasn't found a team yet. I, I don't know what Terrence is asking for. I don't even know who his agent is. Here's my theory on this. Just and I'm, I saw this question yesterday, and I gave it some thought because I, I I do keep up with a lot of NBA. The new CBA collective bargaining agreement that went into effect uh, July the first for the NBA is is going to make the way teams that are competitive teams that are contenders and Sacramento was one at this stage. It's going to make the way that they build the back of their bench different than it's been in the past. Um, it's going to allow you to retain more of your top level guys. So for them, that's DeMontis Sabonis, Steer and Fox. It's going to allow you to give them the big contract and keep them, but it's going to make it pretty punitive if you have a lot of guys in the 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 range on your roster that are making veteran money. I think it's, you're going to see NBA teams start to covet second-round picks so that they can get guys on two ways. They can get guys on rookie-scale deals to fill out the end of their bench. And so a guy like Terrence, who's sort of the eighth guy in a rotation, the ninth guy in a rotation, if he's looking to get a payday, and I don't blame him, um, he's going to have a pretty limited market. Now, if he's willing to take something closer to a veteran minimum, he have a huge market because he's a really good player. He's a 3 and D guy. He's a, a, a spark plug off the bench. He can score points. He's proven he can play in a playoff series. He's proven he can guard elite players in a playoff series. But if he's asking for major money, um, he's going to have a hard time getting that just because of the new CBA. The fact that Sacramento hasn't re-upped with him tells me that they're looking at that the exact same way. Um, <laughs> is it too crowded in the kicker room? I don't know. I, I think I think Gold Miss will have a good kicker. I, but I, I, I can't answer that. It's funny. Uh, GJG comes back. Justin Verlander at 40 is still an MLB starting pitcher. It's like he has discovered the fountain of youth. <laughs> what do you think that could be? I mean, he's married to Kate Upton. Goes home every day to Kate Upton. He's married to Kate Upton. He gets the pitch. He's very good. He's made a ton of money. And he goes home to Kate Upton. Life's good if you're Justin Verlander. I mean, why would you ever wake up and have a bad day? I mean, the odds are when you wake up each day, it's going to be good. Uh, Mark Valls says, uh, multiple questions that span the gamut here. 
Clearly, we, referring to Tennessee, should have been absolutely nuked by the NCAA. When traveling, I've listened to tons of old, old Oxford Exxon podcasts around the NCAA cases and Hugh Freeze. I remember you referring to me saying Barney Farrar was allegedly a booster fundra- allegedly at Bunra- booster fundraiser meetings and how that was an issue. Well, that was just one of the minor things in the list of stuff that Tennessee was doing. How much of Tennessee not really getting hammered other than a big fine that Phil Fulmer ought to pay half of has to do with the NCAA and Sankey SEC not having the appetite to clobber a program versus the Tennessee brass not quoting scripture to investigators. Do you think Hugh has learned his lessons or will the Auburn job swallow him up? Um, I covered a lot of this earlier in the podcast. I, I don't think the NCAA has the teeth to clobber a program of Tennessee stature. And I don't think they have the appetite to lose in court. And I think there's a fear that they would lose in court. I do think Hugh acted like an idiot in 2013 and made, put that thing on a really bad course. Um, I think Ole Miss was way overpunished. I said that at the time it's obvious now, but there's a lot there. It's really complicated. It's really stupid. Um, has Hugh learned his lesson? I don't know. Will the Auburn job swallow him up? I think so. I like Hugh. I hope he does well. I do. I, I have reasons. I think there's a question coming up about it, but I, I, I don't. I really don't harbor a grudge. Uh, JTC one 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 or III JTC the third. I guess is Pete's pigskin preview back this year. It's the best football season content on the site. Um, I need to call Pete. I need to reach out to Pete. I know he had a second child. Congrats, Pete. That's awesome. Two beautiful little girls in his family now. Um, that's amazing. Wonderful. Um, I hope it's back. I got to find a, a sponsor for it. Um, I don't have the same sponsor this year. If you are a business out there looking to sponsor a really good piece of football content, absolutely. Pete's not going to do that for free. I'm not going to do it for free. It was it was work. Um, it 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 takes time. It's a lot of work on Pete's part. It's it's an hour and a half out of my day each one night each week. Um, it requires post production. There's a lot there. So if someone wants to sponsor it, yes, it'll be back. I hope it's back. Um, as of this moment, I don't have a sponsor for it, and I haven't talked to Pete about it, and I don't know whether Pete has the time with a second child and all of the obligations that he has in football season. Um, but no question, he does a great job, and it was a really good show. Uh, K-R-B-O-S, Kerbos. Um, hey, Neil, first, just want to say thanks for all the great content that you and everyone else gives us every week. The consistency and quality is seen and appreciated. Thank you. Uh, he says, for my question, let's say a big book publisher calls you up tomorrow and gives you a year and whatever amount of money you want to write whatever book you want, fiction, nonfiction, whatever, what book are you writing and why? Thanks and have a great week. Hope you have a great week too. Um, the odds of this are infinitesimally low. A big book publisher calls me and says, you have a year. And I'll pay you whatever amount of money you want. So I get a sabbatical from my job and the podcast to write whatever I want. I mean, there's a couple of nonfiction, I mean, a couple of fiction things that have floated around in my head 
that I think I could write if I had the time. I don't know that they would be any good. Um, I'd have to have an amazing editor. I think a lot of people write books thinking that they're great writers and they're not. And the book sucks. And no one tells them that the book sucks. I'd have to have a really good writer, a really good editor. I'd have to have a year minimum um, with nothing else to do. I, I don't think in the way that as busy as my life is with work and podcasting and with football and basketball double up and then all the recruiting stuff and all that I do, I don't think I'd have the time to do it. Um, I wrote a book years ago when my girls were little um, about their stuffed animals. I brought their stuffed animals to life. Um, I thought it was pretty good, but I never sent it to anybody. I read it to the girls, and they loved it, of course. Um, I need to find it somewhere so that in case something happens to me, they have it. Probably be a cool memory for them. Um, probably something that they would they would cherish. But um, I, I I've said this before. I just I I don't I don't. I don't plan to write a book. I, I, I don't think I'm good enough to write a book. I don't think that I'm a talented enough writer to write a book. I hold book writers to really high standards. I don't know there's a lot of jokes there that can be said, but those jokes are there for a reason. Uh, Sugarland Reb 22, what's the best case and worst case for Chris Beard and Ole Miss basketball? Um. I don't know whether you mean short-term or long-term, so I'll kind of answer both. I mean, I think short-term best case this year is that they are a middle-of-the-pack SEC team that hits a little hot streak, makes the tournament, gets some momentum. Fans get to see how good SEC basketball is because when when your team's good, you realize how good the rest of the league is, and it's a whole lot of fun. Um, Worst case is that these guys that they're waiting on waivers don't get waivers, and they're just not – talented enough in year one to make the tournament um best case long term is that he turns Ole Miss into a power which is what I expect because Chris Beard wins everywhere he ever goes I guess worst case would be after he turns him into a power he leaves to go to another job and then you try to replace him with another elite coach I I I don't think there's a whole lot of worst case scenarios out there for Ole Miss basketball I think Chris Beard's elite I said that all along uh I think he's going to win because I think he would literally win anywhere I think he will win big here. I think people are going to get excited about it. I think they're going to enjoy basketball at the Pavilion. I think they're going to enjoy those games when Nate Oates brings Alabama into town and Bruce Pearl brings Auburn into town and John Calipari or whoever brings Kentucky into town and uh, Eric Musselman brings Arkansas into town and, and you, you, you have a chance to win those games and it's exciting and it's fun and you get to see how good those other teams are and how good your players are. It's a, it's a great product. Um, I think the Pavilion can be really cool. I think it's a matter of time before it's really cool to go to a game there. Um, and I think that's I think that's inevitable. Whether it happens in year one or not appears to be in the NCAA's hands. And I'm a little pessimistic, but we'll see. That might just be my nature. But Chris Beard's going to win at Ole Miss, and basketball's going to be fun. It might, it might take a second year. Uh, Dwight says, will Butcher versus the spin instructor be back? Um, yes because I want to do it. Um, it's going to be the butcher versus the dance instructor, I think, this year, because Campbell's going to be working. And so it's going to be Caroline, who will be a junior at Arkansas this year coming up. Uh, she filled in for uh, Campbell one, uh, 
one week last year, and it was fun. So I think it's going to be Caroline picking against uh, Greg Jones with the LBs. Uh, that's a show that we tape usually on Wednesdays around 1.30, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and it's a 20-minute tape. It's not much prep. It's silly and stupid and fun, and I get to see my girls, and uh, selfishly it's 20, 25 of my favorite minutes of the week. I love Greg. He's a great friend. Uh, yeah, I do that show. And believe it or not, that show, Dwight, um, as dumb as it is and as stupid as it is, um, it is popular with our female audience. They like that show. And it has allowed us to grow that demographic. Um, they like it. They think it's fun and silly. And we air it on Thursday night when the kind of the week's done and we're starting to get a little silly and uh, it's just kind of a, I think it's a good way to, to kind of end the week a little bit. And uh, it's been, we did three seasons of it with Campbell. And so we'll do at least one and hopefully two seasons with, uh, with Caroline. And then we'll see where that goes from there. But yeah, for me, that's a, obviously a really fun show. Thank you for asking. Uh, A-R-F-L, I'm sorry, Arlie Fisher, maybe. What's the best way to get in contact with you about sponsoring Pete's uh, pigskin, um, send me an email. It's neilmccrady at gmail.com. Everybody knows my email. I'll be happy to put it out there. Just send it to me, and, and we'll, uh, we'll get in touch. That'd be awesome. Uh, starting to wind down here, um, Bad Check says, if the rumors of Oregon committing to the Big Ten are true, how does this affect who the SEC eyes and goes after? I saw those rumors yesterday. I don't know if they're true or not. If they are, uh, it would tell me that Washington and Oregon are going to the Big Ten which would mean the Big Ten's going to 18 pretty quick. How would that impact who the SEC eyes and goes after? I don't think the SEC would be super reactionary. I think, and I'm pretty informed here, the SEC really wants to go through 2024 at 16 and look at what their league looks like with Texas and Oklahoma, decide what they want to do about the eight versus nine game schedule, look at uh, how that impacts playoff, who made the playoff, how difficult was it to make the playoff, how many teams from the league made the playoff, what are your TV ratings, um, different things like that. I think the SEC really wants to get that data and analyze it carefully before it makes another move. Here's the thing about the SEC. It doesn't have to worry about reacting. The truth is the schools that the SEC would have interest in joining the SEC want to join the SEC. And when they get out of their current contracts or they find a way to get out of their current contracts, all the SEC has to do is ask. The answer will be yes. Um, Elway Manning says, uh, did you and freeze ever get in a heated or uncomfortable situation? If so, what was the backstory? We never got in a heated situation. Um, Hugh and I always pretty much got along. We had some uncomfortable situations, um, which is just cause I did my job. And I think Hugh struggled with my lack of fandom, honestly, and that's okay. Um, we talked it out usually. We had we had the one thing uh twenty sixteen following the NFL draft where Hugh told a lot of people and Hugh was just coming off a of Sugar Bowl. He was really popular. He told a lot of people that my questions at the NFL draft extended the 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 investigation, that had I not asked those questions, that the investigation would have been over. Uh that was completely false. Utterly ridiculous. Um, I didn't care about what it did to me. 
I can handle it. I'm a big boy. It it led to some people going involving my family with it. At the time, my girls were what fifteen and thirteen, and that was a lot. That was a lot. That really bothered me. That still bothers me. If I'm honest, um, I'm I'm over it. But that that was wrong on his part. He was he was wrong to do that. Um, and if there's a it's not a grudge. If there's something that bothers me with him, it's that. Uh, I think this is the last one. I'll hit refresh one time and make sure I haven't missed anything. Trogdor84 says uh, at Neil McCready, one, greatest parenting regret, two, greatest parenting victory, three, greatest parenting hope yet to be realized. Um, I'll start with number one, regret. I got a couple. One is when the kids were younger. Um, I was so busy with work, two jobs. I worked at the Mobile Register, and I had a show at WNSP in Mobile. Um, so many weekends were occupied with work. Uh, every Friday, I worked till six, doing radio. As a kid growing up in Louisiana, one of my memories, my fond memories, is going water skiing and stuff with my family. My dad and mom would take us water skiing in uh, Louisiana at some of the lakes, Lake Claiborne, Lake Darbone. Uh, we'd go to Arkansas. We'd go to uh, Lake DeGray. We'd go to Lake Bruin in Tallulah, Louisiana. Um, what's the other lake? Lake Hamilton, I think, near Hot Springs. We would go there, and we'd go to Magic Springs and stuff. Um, I think those are the main lakes that we went to, and maybe there's one more. that I, Lake Pettigene in Arkansas. We would go there. It was always really pretty. But I always loved that, getting to do that. Looking back, that was fun. I didn't do that with my kids. And there, one time Caroline went water skiing with some of her friends and came back just talking about how much fun it was. And I realized that was a, a parenting failure. Um, and then my, I mean, not to get political, we've made it an hour and a half of, of basically here without a political comment. Um, my, my greatest parenting regret was in uh, summer of 2021 when the Omicron variant thing came out and the media built that up to be something really scary. Um, and the girls thought that, hey, without the vaccine, I'm not going to be able to go to concerts and I'm not going to be able to go to parties or whatever. And I very reluctantly let them get vaccinated. I, I regret that. That was a failure. That's the only word for that. That was total failure on my part and I regret it. Um, I let them down. I owed them more than that. I needed to tell them, no, you don't need it. It's too risky. You don't know what it's going to do to you long-term. Trust me on this. You're going to be okay. I should have done that. And I didn't. And that's a failure that, that, uh, if I'm honest, it haunts me. Um, greatest parenting victory. You know, it's pretty simple. It's a pretty simple answer. I'll give myself this. I don't give myself a lot of credit for a lot of things, but uh, all three of my kids go to bed every every single night in their lives, knowing that I love them and that I care for them and that I support them and that I don't judge them and that if things are bad, I'll be there. I won't judge. Um, I think they know that. I think that's a great comfort for them. They know it with their mom too, but they know it for me as from me that, 
I've got as long as I have a breath and a pulse, I've got their back. And I, I think that's that's something that not every person has. And my three have that, and they know it. And my hope, pretty simple, um, pretty simple. I, I just hope that they're happy. I hope that they find happiness in in whatever way they want to find it. That's I'm I'm not one of these people that um, I'm not one of these people that uh, requires. I don't live vicariously through my kids. I don't. Um, I was telling Carson the other day he was coming back from a, we went to he went to a couple of soccer camps one at uh, Lipscomb in Nashville and then one at UAB and uh, he was saying something about he talked to the the coach at his Lipscomb um, camp his team coach they did they divided up into four teams he was on the black team and the black team apparently was coached by the coach at the University of Louisville who he had a long conversation with about what kind of a player he would be and stuff like that and at the college level and and Carson's not positive that that's what he wants to do and stuff and I had to make sure that I told him hey man I need to make sure you know this you don't have to be a college soccer player like for me you know that right and and he was like yeah I I know that and and I said uh I said you can you you can it don't matter to me. Like how good you are as a soccer player isn't going to impact how much I love you. Like when I go to, I told him, I said, when I go to one of your games at OHS or with Tupelo football club or whatever, I said, when you score a goal, I'm happy for you. Not because of that. I'm happy for you because you're happy. I enjoy the soccer games because I enjoy seeing you happy. He loves soccer, and when he plays, you can see the joy, and that's cool. And so, but I told him, I said, but if you score four goals, I'm not going to love you any more than I would love you if you're the worst player on the field, if you just sit the bench. It's important that you know that, and I think he does. And so, so for me, victory for me is just my kids being happy. If they're happy doing whatever it is that they do professionally, personally, just, I don't own them. That's that's my thing. So I, I think that's important. Sometimes I think, I think there's a lot of parents out there that end up getting caught up in their kids' success or, or failure. And when they fail, I think you just have to be there to help them. And when they succeed, you just celebrate. It's not it's not your success; it's theirs. Uh, we've also been brought to you by Salty Lab Chat Charters. It's the premier private charter boat company in Navarre Beach. Uh, get in touch with Captain Lee Comerford at saltylabcharters.com. Make sure you tell him, tell him that you heard about it on the podcast. There's a discount in there for you. Still plenty of time to enjoy um, the Santa Rosa Sound Tours, the, the Crab Island Tours, the Private Dolphin Tours. It's still hot. Still a lot of beach time. That open date in October. If you're an Ole Miss fan, there's an open date in October, which is uh, sneaky, the best time to go down to the Gulf. So, um, get in touch with Lee and uh, the people at SaltyLabCharters.com. Um, I think that's it. I think that's all the questions. Thanks to everybody for asking questions at uh, RebelGrove.com. I asked for questions, and you guys delivered like almost 40 of them, which was awesome because I didn't know what we were going to talk about today with me just sitting here talking to myself. It's kind of a weird feeling. There's nobody else in this room, so I'm just talking to me, but you guys in the in this chat, 
made it fun. Uh, thanks to everybody for doing that. Please do me a favor, hit the like button on your way out. And if you're not subscribed to uh, MPW Digital on YouTube, please hit the subscribe button. It's free. There's no cost to you. We would appreciate that. I will be uh, interviewing Jeffrey Wright early tomorrow morning. It's not going to live stream, but I'll load it in podcast form. As soon as we're done, I'm working on another podcast or two um, to bring to you in the form of a hand-raised guys. Uh, hopefully Thursday night. It might be Friday, but we're going to get it to you at some point this weekend. Got a couple of things going on uh, this week family-wise that uh, might impact my schedule. We'll be at uh, at at uh, Ole Miss on Friday. We'll, we'll absolutely, no matter what, with some of the family stuff. Even if it pops up, I'm, I will be at uh, I'll be at Juice Fest on Friday. We'll bring you recruiting coverage. Um, I don't know whether I'm going to have to go to Fayetteville or not on Saturday or Sunday to help with some moving stuff. I'm hoping I don't have to go, but I might have to go, and that will impact some stuff from a weekend. But we'll get the podcast to you, and then the plan is next week we uh, hit the go button and uh, get going on another uh, another college football season. My anticipation is Ole Miss will have a media day Thursday or Friday of next week. I think Ole Miss camp is supposed to start the third. Ole Miss plays its first game September the 2nd at home against Mercer. So the way that works is you get 30 days to have 28 practices or something like that. So you can pretty much do the math on when everything gets started. So, again, thanks to everybody for in the stream. Thanks to everybody that uh, – subscribes thanks to all of our advertisers and the people that make this show possible we certainly appreciate it we're back with another edition of the oxford exxon podcast on thursday until then have a great rest of your day rest of your week and uh, we'll talk to you again soon